Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. This episode is sponsored by Renogy, a renewable energy company that provides solar products for homes, businesses, RVs, and more. Renogy prides itself on supplying efficient solar products that are sold at the lowest price point possible. They're on a mission to provide tailor-made solutions that let you enjoy an active, outdoorsy lifestyle without having to worry about air pollution, noise pollution, or maintenance. Renogy's products range from portable solar panels that are only about as big as a cell phone to installations that can power your home or RV and everything in between. For 10% off your order, go to renogy.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com, promo code OUTTHERE. Renogy, big or small, solar for all. And now, on to our story for today. Imagine that you're on a solo bicycle trip in Japan. A female rider on her own, independent and strong. Sounds romantic, right? Adventurous. Badass. North Americans adore the notion of independence. It's a badge of honor to be able to do things all by ourselves. And if you're a woman, even better. People admire you for your bravery. But what if you discover that you aren't as independent as you thought? What if you can't go it alone? Today's episode takes us through one woman's struggle dealing with intense loneliness while on her bike. I'll let Melanie Chambers take it from here. I've been traveling alone for most of my adult life, and up until now, that's how I've liked it. In fact, it's what defines me. As a university professor, I get my summers off. So the minute I've submitted the final marks, I'm off. I've been doing this for almost 15 summers, hiking alone in Peru or cycling through villages in northern Philippines. People stare at me and inevitably ask, you solo? This elicits a variety of responses. Odd stares, pity, but sometimes envy. You strong, they say. This makes me happy. Being a solo traveler takes balls, and I've built a reputation on it. After teaching every semester, being alone during my travels allows me to listen to what's in my head. It frees up some mental space to enable me to write. I also love being in control when I'm alone. I ride where I want, stop when I want, no negotiation required. So, when I set off on a 3,000 mile solo bicycle trip through Japan and Korea last year, I wasn't worried. At least, I wasn't worried about being alone. What I was worried about was camping in a forest. Let's face it, I want to shower in bed after riding all day. I was also worried about my bike breaking and not being able to fix it. My plan was to cycle with all my belongings on my bike for four months. 
I hadn't done a long bike trip like this since I first went overseas in 1996. But even back then, I had always stayed in hostels. I didn't have to camp on this trip, but I wanted a challenge. You see, I'm now 47 and menopausal. The prospect of turning 50 paired with the emotional tsunami of menopausal hot flashes and hormonal anger was too much. I wanted desperately to prove I still had it. To be entirely independent and self-sufficient. A lone wolf badass living on her bike. The trip got off to a bad start right away. Landing in Seoul, jet lag got the best of me and I caught a nasty cold immediately. My two-day rest stop turned into a week sleeping most of the day in a closet-sized room with a concrete view. On the sixth day, snotty nose be damned, I was leaving Seoul. As I steered my way through the traffic, riding hours past industrial buildings and blocks of apartments, finally the city was behind me. It was a relief to be out in the countryside on the open road but to my surprise, the good feelings didn't last long. Stopping for lunch, I laid out a fleece jacket on a patch of grass near the river, amongst dozens of families. As I ate, I watched little ones playing and people laughing. I wondered what my partner and her friends were doing back home. It was odd that I was thinking about home so early on. Normally, I'm absorbed with my new surroundings. But my heart wasn't entirely in this place. And I dismissed it quickly, packed up, and began riding again. At nightfall, the loneliness hit hard. The path became quiet, the riders dwindled. I was a member of a cycling group on Facebook, and they had suggested camping was easy. Just find a gazebo or a meadow. But now that I was out here, it didn't seem so straightforward. I wondered, would people kick me off the land? Where would I pee? What if someone broke into the tent at night? I floundered for a few more miles and then checked into a hotel. So much for bravery. All week, I followed the Sol de Busan Four Rivers Trail. It's a paved bike path that goes on for 450 miles. It should have been beautiful following the country's rivers the whole way. But all I could think about was the fact that I was alone. Why was this solo trip so different from my previous travels? Where was my gutsy independence? A few days later, I stopped a couple of cyclists to ask for directions. One of the bikers pointed at the route for me. I wasn't on the path for five minutes until I heard, no, no, from behind. It was the cyclist waving me down. So sorry, other way, he repeated. We laughed as I followed him back. The next day, I stopped at a gazebo for lunch. There's many off the trail. As I was about to pack up, I looked up to see a familiar face. It was the cyclist who had given me directions and his partner. The man pulled out a Coke bottle filled with an opaque liquid, soju, a pungent homemade Korean hooch. We clinked plastic glasses and shared our food. Afterwards, we rode together. 
It was the first time I had had company on this trip. Even though we didn't say much, it felt so good not to be alone. It also took the pressure off because I didn't have to do all the navigating. I get lost easily, so having someone else lead for a while was reassuring. I could focus on my surroundings more instead of my GPS. Being completely self-sufficient had meant I was also missing out on the scenery. Now I could enjoy it. The next night, the couple stopped to set up their tents under a bridge. I followed. This would be my first camping experience. Up until now, I had stayed in hotels. As it became darker, we sat around the lamp and exchanged Google Translate. I am lucky because I have love, wrote the woman. Sliding into my sleeping bag, I was giddy. I was camping! The next day, the final 50 mile ride into Busan, we rode faster and faster as the city approached, weaving in and out of commuters going to work. We sprinted the final mile to the finish. After selfies and lunch at a busy downtown market, we hugged in an alleyway and said goodbye. I watched them ride away between the crowd until they were gone. I felt satiated from the days with the couple, like I could keep going. And what's more, I proved I could camp, even if it wasn't alone. But the gloom quickly returned. The plan was to spend only a few days in Busan, then fly to Jeju Island, and after, catch a ferry to Japan. The night before my flight, I noticed something wrong with my ticket. I booked the flight from Jeju to Busan in reverse. It was already midnight, and my flight was in a few hours. It was too late to change. I had a week before my ferry to Japan. The unplanned week in Busan seemed to take forever. After three days, I started to sleep in, something I never do. Without cycling, I was also beginning to feel sluggish. Three weeks into a three-month journey to prove I could camp and be alone, and now I could do neither. Feeling needy and desperate, I decided to FaceTime my partner, Paul. When I saw his face on the laptop screen and our cat on his shoulders, I cried hard. I want to come home, I confessed. I can't do this. I even offered to buy him a ticket to come visit. But I'm obstinate. I said I was going to cycle the entire length of Japan, alone, and to give in now would be embarrassing. I felt ridiculous for feeling so needy. Be patient, he said. You'll find your groove eventually. When I finally arrived in Japan, fellow Canadian cyclists reached out. They asked if I wanted to ride together for a few days. I jumped at the chance, which shocked me a little. I felt almost guilty agreeing to meet them so quickly. This was supposed to be a solo trip. One day, we saw a fellow bike packer across an intersection. She ran over to us and broke down. Oh my God, I'm so glad to see you guys, she said in between tears. I've been cycling alone for weeks and I haven't seen anyone. I immediately hugged her. Her body shook from loneliness. She explained that she'd been in Japan for two weeks and was supposed to stay for a third, but that she was going home early. She'd had enough. That's crazy, I thought to myself. Suck it up. Bailing on a trip seems spineless. But if I'm honest, I was also a little envious. 
I admired her for recognizing her own needs and acting on them. That whole week, I kept thinking about her. I had parted ways with my cycling buddies, and now I was on my own, riding through bleak industrial parks day after day. The loneliness was back, and I started to wonder whether my partner had been wrong when he tried to encourage me. Maybe I wouldn't find my groove on this trip. Maybe I didn't have it in me to travel solo anymore. One evening, I recall eating a stale plate of sushi on the curb of a 7-Eleven store. This miserable meal might have been something to laugh over if I could share it, but alone, it was just sad. I started wondering what I was doing here. Why was I forcing myself to prove my independence? Whoever said that going it alone was such a badge of honor? I was starting to think maybe companionship wouldn't be so bad. And yet still, I couldn't let go of my goal. I still felt this compulsion to prove myself. So I pressed on. Hey, it's Willow. We'll hear what happened to Melanie in a moment. But first... Okay, so we have here a solar flashlight. I'm unpacking a box of renewable energy products that our sponsor, Renogy, sent to me. All right, and then we have a portable solar charger. This is for charging a smartphone or a tablet. It says it's waterproof. It also has a built-in flashlight. That's pretty cool. The portable solar charger is small and compact just a little larger than a cell phone. And the instructions for using it could not be more simple. Just place it under sunlight. So now I'm just gonna leave these out in the sun, I think, and see how long it takes for them to power up. For 10% off your order of renewable energy products, go to renergy.com and enter the promo code out there at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y.com promo code out there. And now back to Melanie's story. For another month, I clung to random encounters with strangers, drivers handing me cold drinks from the car, a man fixing my bike tire, and one of my favorites, a woman taking me home to her family for the night. These meetings were invigorating, but afterward, I felt worse deflated because I wasn't sure when they were going to happen again. The difference with bikepacking and my other solo trips is that while bikepacking, you're alone most of the day. During my other trips, I would ride for a few days and return to a city, eat at restaurants and people watch, maybe even chat with some. Living on the bike this way was extreme isolation. I wasn't used to no contact. And then, one stormy evening, huddled in my tent on a lonely beach, things came to a head. The night before, I had stayed with an expat American couple that were in their late 70s. I had found them through a cycling organization called Warm Showers. It's like couch surfing, but for cyclists. 
I hadn't seen or talked to anyone for a few days when I pulled up to their house near an onion field. Swaying on a porch swing, a woman was picking berries out of a basket. Wearing a large brim sun hat and red stained gloves, she looked up. You must be Melanie, she said. I sat down and began helping her pick out the moldy mulberries from the basket. Jeanette talked about her lovely Japanese community, something they never had back in America. Richard, her husband, talked about the good old days of drugs and free love in the 60s. I immediately felt comfortable. Before dinner, in their traditional Japanese home, with their slide rice paper doors, Jeanette taught yoga and asked me to join. With eyes closed, I listened to her soothing Japanese, then English translation. As Jeanette and the two others breathed in unison, I inhaled their energy and warmth. I didn't want to leave the next morning. Jeanette and Richard had been so welcoming, and their home felt like, well, home. But I had it in my head that I had to keep moving. That's what you do on a bikepacking trip. So I kept riding. That night, it was almost dark when I set up camp on a chilly beach. The wind was picking up as I zipped up my tent and ate a squishy energy bar for dinner. I thought of the night before with Jeanette and Richard. Richard showed up to the dinner table wearing a t-shirt with a fake tuxedo on the front. I dressed up for you, he joked. In that moment, I couldn't have felt more loved and special. Why hadn't I stayed another night with them? I ached to be around people, but I kept holding on to the stupid notion that I had to do it alone. But that night, I couldn't handle it anymore. Inside my tent, I flipped open my laptop and began watching Sex and the City reruns. Ah, my girls, I thought. The familiarity was comforting. When I closed my laptop, I was suddenly filled with a new resolve. I was not going to keep doing this trip alone. I knew physically I could handle hundreds of miles on end, but I couldn't handle any more emotional isolation. I wanted more people, more connections. And I could have that. I didn't have to do this by myself. I had heard from other cyclists that the north in Hokkaido was full of bikepackers. Surely I could find a riding partner or two for the rest of the trip. Enough with proving my independence. I wasn't going to ride alone anymore. I was going to take control of how I was feeling. The next day, I began scouring Facebook groups. I arranged to meet Anna from Austria in Sapporo. Anna was 26, the same age as me when I first bikepacked. And she was just as prepared. She bought a bike a few days earlier, attaching gear to it with Velcro straps and bungee cords. I loved her spirit. On our second day, we rode 80 miles, the most Anna had ever ridden in one day. I want to be like you when I get older, she told me. The older comment stung a bit, but that she thought I was cool was validation. I did still have it. That night, we set up camp on the tree line of a bleak forest. I walked around the remnants of an old homestead beside a gravestone. 
It felt apocalyptic for me, but not for Anna. She hummed and pranced about, stirring the pot of noodles. We sat on her blue scarf and toasted to her success. Her inner peace was palpable. I remember thinking that if I was here by myself, I'd be miserable and anxious, waiting for a bear to attack. But Anna calmed my nerves. For a month, Anna and I, and a handful of other cyclists, formed a little community. We didn't ride together all the time. We would separate and do our own thing occasionally. But we would always reunite. It was bliss. Maybe I wasn't doing what I set out to do. I wasn't biking solo. But I was having fun. I felt strong and energetic. And I was enjoying my trip. Finally, I had found my groove. Just like Paul said I would. The night before I flew home, a bunch of our group, including Anna, camped on a beach. After sharing stories, laughing, and eating, I went to sleep quickly. But at 3 a.m., I was woken by a nightmare. I dreamed that I was in prison. The guard informed me I wasn't allowed visitors, ever. After I calmed down, I was so relieved. I wasn't alone. Sometime in my life, I got it into my head that I had to go it alone, all the time. Who knows, maybe it was part societal, part growing up in a divorced family, and just being alone, a lot, entertaining myself without siblings around. But when I meet someone new, and we share similar ideas and experiences, something electric happens. Now that COVID-19 has forced us into our own private prisons, it's a stark reminder of the value of human connections. I crave to be around my friends and family. How foolish of me to force myself into isolation when I didn't have to. That's not to say I've given up on solo trips. I still plan to travel alone in the future once this pandemic is over. But. I'll make sure that even the most solitary of trips include human interaction. I was wrong when I set out on that bikepacking trip last year. Needing other people isn't a weakness. It's being human. That was Melanie Chambers. She's a writer based in Toronto, and she also teaches travel and food writing at Western University in London. Since she can't travel this summer, Melanie is staying home and working on a memoir. If you missed our live show last week, it was a blast. And it was recorded, so you can watch the rerun. Just head to our website, outtherepodcast.com, and click on our blog. I was so impressed by all of our storytellers. They really poured their hearts into this, and their stories were beautiful and well told. So, if you didn't get to join us live, treat yourself to watching the replay. Also, another little treat for you. It occurred to me that a lot of us are walking or jogging or biking around the same neighborhoods day after day after day, which can get a little old. 
So, to keep things fresh, we put together an adult scavenger hunt. We've posted five clues for you to look for when you're out and about. The clues are fairly broad, so hopefully you'll be able to participate wherever you live. And the way it works is when you see something that matches one of the clues, take a picture of it. And once you have all five, email them to us. The first person to get all five will win a prize. A huge thank you to all of the listeners who are supporting out there with financial contributions. They include Cindy Cohen, Mike Lutters, Christopher Larson and Julia Dale Larson, and Deb and Vince Garcia. If you'd like to make a difference in supporting this podcast, go to outtherepodcast.com and click support. Okay, I'm so curious to see how the charging of the solar panels is going. It's been about an hour since I put them out in the sun. Um, although actually, to be fair, <laughs> it's not really sunny today. It's uh, pretty cloudy, so that probably affects charging time. So let's go check. Let's see about the flashlight. I don't know. Oh, whoa, cool. The flashlight has a compass on the end of it. That's awesome. Um, I don't know how to tell when the flashlight is done charging. Let's just see if it works. Whoa! It turned on! That's so cool. Okay, so that obviously charges fairly quickly. <laughs> solar power is so cool. The solar flashlight I'm testing out is a product made by Renogy. Renogy is our sponsor for this episode. They make renewable energy products for homes, businesses, RVs, and more. For 10% off your order, go to renogy.com and enter the promo code out there at checkout. That's R-E-N-O-G-Y dot com, promo code out there. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Ben Montoya is our production intern. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. I hope you're well, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>